0: Uh, we've had some new direction from our government, um, at least uh, as of today. And uh, I know that some of you are eager to uh, to to head back to church and worship together. And I know some of you are probably concerned, and you're worried, and, and perhaps a little anxious about going back to church um, and uh, possibly exposing ourselves to more danger. Um, and so, either way, whether you're excited or whether you're anxious. Uh, I appeal to you to trust in our Lord, uh, and um, to not be cavalier about uh, about your joy or uh, too pessimistic about your anxieties. Uh, we want to make sure that we're trusting in our God. We will get back to church in time. We will, uh, but um, as as of right now, um, we we will just trust. The Lord and and we will ask him for his wisdom as we try and figure out how we're going to get back to church safely um, just so that you all know um, we as a pastoral staff and as elders have not had a chance to talk about this since uh, the order came out this afternoon or the new uh, guidance came out this uh, afternoon so we don't have any details for you just yet we do ask that you would be uh, you would be patient and um, that you would uh, also be praying for us as well. Uh, we, we, we covet your prayers desperately, uh, just because we, like you, have never been through this before. And because we've never been through this before, this is all new territory uh, for us. So we definitely need God's wisdom to proceed. So please keep praying for us, uh, lifting us up before the Lord. We would appreciate your prayers. Uh, we need God's help. Um, just because we have the freedom to go back to church doesn't mean that we just go in, uh, unwisely. So, uh, yes, please, please be praying for us. We're, uh, hoping to, to figure that out sometime soon. Um, our study this evening is, is uh, back in first John, we're going to be looking at first John four. Uh, so if you will turn with me to your, to your Bibles, to first John four, uh, we're going to read God's word and then we'll, uh, pray. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to believe that we're almost done with this book. It's been a while. I know that the, uh, the nine weeks of no preaching because of shelter in place has kind of extended our time in 1 John. But it's uh, you know, it was something that God ordained, and we're grateful for it. So um, we're trucking along. We'll be done in July, um, and uh, we're trying to figure out what to do next afterwards. But uh, for now, our study is going to be in 1 John. So 1 John chapter 4, the Apostle John writes this, Beloved, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we're grateful to you for uh, your word, and we pray that uh, as, we, as we study it, you would uh, give us fresh eyes as we uh, approach a familiar passage. Help us to, um, to see what you want us to see and to uh, act upon it. Help us, Lord, to see the importance of discernment and help us to glorify you as we think about how um, this applies to our lives. We're grateful for this time, Lord, where we could gather together. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, there is uh, something to be said about brand names that provides comfort for shoppers. Maybe we like brand names because we're getting a known commodity. Maybe it's because we have uh, good experiences, uh, good memories associated with the things that we've receive with brand names. Whatever the, the case may be, there's a level of comfort that comes with a reputable brand name. Right? I would much rather use a name brand than a generic uh, at times just because I know I can trust it. And there's a reason why uh, McDonald's is such a known quantity in uh, the world. Right? No matter where you go, you always know what uh, your Big Mac and fries are going to taste like. Right? There's the standard that comes with a big name. However, what may accompany brand names is that brand name price. And since people are willing to pay for that brand name price, the sinful nature of man helps us understand that there's always going to be someone who's going to try and make a copy of that brand name to try and steal our hard earned money. China in particular is a haven for counterfeit goods. Uh, some people, buy counterfeit goods, and and, uh, they usually intend to buy the original product, but when they see the counterfeit and they see how good it is, they'd rather buy the counterfeit because they can get the look and status recognition of the name brand without having to pay for that brand name price. And if it were merely an issue of looks, counterfeiting might not be a bad thing. But when we understand how counterfeiting can cause harm, as counterfeiters look to mass produce popular products um, to earn money quickly, that stance can change drastically. Especially when when they skirt safety regulations uh, to produce those things quickly, Uh, we've seen uh, phone chargers counterfeit phone chargers produced. That uh, did not follow proper safety regulations that electrocuted uh, the people who used them. We've seen that uh, popular children's toys have fa- have uh, have been found with lead in the paint. So it might seem like you're saving money. It might like, seem like you're not doing any harm, but counterfeiting can actually have some serious effects on people's lives and their well-being. The danger of counterfeits does not lie solely in our material world, because it also can affect our spiritual world as well. Counterfeit faith, counterfeit Christianity is one of the most dangerous things Christians face in in life because counterfeit faith is fake salvation, which leads to real damnation of souls. People who claim to be Christians But do not believe and teach what the Word of God clearly teaches about salvation are dangerous because the gospel they teach is not good news. They can use the language that we use. They can do the things that we do. But if they do not hold to what God's Word actually says, they're not Christians. John makes this point in our passage tonight. As he exhorts his readers to be discerning, to examine carefully the things which they are hearing, since the false teaching that was threatening the church was not teaching that leads to salvation, but was teaching that was filled with serious error that threatens people's salvation. We do live in a time right now where our technology uh, puts a lot of good teaching in our hands with just one click. However, the availability of teaching can also be a dangerous thing for us, as there are many people out there who are claiming to be teaching the Bible, who are speaking God's words to us, who are not teaching the Bible in accordance to the, set, the standard of sound doctrine. And so as a result, Christians must be careful. We must practice discernment in what we read and listen to, what we're learning unless we accidentally buy into unbiblical teaching, posing as biblical teaching. So in our study tonight, we're going to find two reasons Christians must practice discernment in this current age. Two reasons Christians must practice discernment in this current age. The first reason that Christians must practice discernment is the the deceptiveness of error. The deceptiveness of error. As we come to this evening's passage, it might seem out of place to some of you. Just last week, John finished up his thoughts about how our love for one another is an evidence of our genuine salvation. This assurance of salvation was needed for John's readers because of the uncertainty and the issues that arose with false, with the false teachers' claims that God has given them secret knowledge that goes beyond what the people have learned in his word. And so with that context in mind, let's turn to the text verse one beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from god because many prophets have gone out into the world so if these false teachers who are causing problems in the church were claiming that they had a message from god that they were speaking from god that they had a, a a revelation from god a secret revelation from god how can they be distinguished from the genuine Holy Spirit, who is supposed to assure us of our salvation uh, that John said in John three twenty four because if the Holy Spirit's saying something, but you have another person saying, "I also have a word from the Holy Spirit, how are we supposed to figure out who's telling the truth? So when you understand that dilemma, when you understand that problem, right false teaching is not harmless. It's dangerous because it brings confusion into the church and it threatens to upset the faith of Christians. And that's why John tells his readers that they must test every spirit to see if they are from God. Now when John says test every spirit, he's not suggesting that demon possession is responsible for every false teaching that exists, but he's drawing attention to the reality of spiritual warfare around us. When he groups false teachers with spirits, John is helping us to see that though not every false teacher is demonic, they may be demonically influenced with thinking that is anti-God, anti-Jesus, anti-Holy Spirit, wholesalely anti-Christian. And so the statement that John makes about false prophets in the world, we realize it actually continues to ring true today. Yes, the true good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died on the cross and then rose again in three days, that goes out to the nations, right? It does. But false gospels go out to the world as well. It also goes out to the nations, and it competes with the true gospel. John Piper in one of his uh, his famous messages about the prosperity gospel tells uh, tells his listeners that we actually export from America false doctrine all over the world in the name of doing good for Christ. We see that in the, particularly in, in the form of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. We also see it in the form of Christians claiming that you need to receive a baptism of the Spirit and the gift of tongues to be confirmed in your faith. We see it in the forms of cults like Mormonism and Christian Scientology. If false teachers are out there telling people that they speak for God, that they have a message from the Lord, that they are biblical, then we must be on the alert. They're borrowing our language. They're trying to pose as if they're God's agents, but they're not. They have within them different spirit and so we must make sure that the message we receive from others truly is consistent with what is sound doctrine look at verse 2 and 3 by this you know the Spirit of God every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is, um, sorry that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. Now John is providing for us uh, the criteria with which we are to judge whether a teacher is truly from God or if that teacher has the spirit of the Antichrist. Antichrist is the opponent, an impersonator of Christ, who will come in the end times. Um, And so what we want to know is do the people who are teaching, who are claiming to be biblical, are are they influenced by the Holy Spirit or do they have the spirit of the Antichrist in them? Do they confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? That word confession, it translates a, a Greek compound word, which means to say the same thing. When we think of confession, we tend to think of it primarily in the legal realm. When someone tells legal authorities that they have committed a crime. Often they make these statements of confession when legal authorities already suspect them of a crime. And so when a criminal confesses to a crime, they are essentially agreeing with the legal authorities, agreeing with the charges that have been brought against them. They're saying the same things that the legal authorities say about them. bring that into confessing Jesus Christ. When John tells us that the spirits that confess that Jesus has come in the flesh, he's telling us that these spirits or these teachers are, are those who are from the Holy spirit. They're teachers who are influenced by the Holy spirit. They say, they all say the same thing about Jesus Christ that God has said in his word. And so if, if we know that salvation hangs completely on understanding that the right things about Jesus then the truth about Jesus, who he is, what he, has, uh, what he has done, and how he expects his followers to live. All of that is important for us to study and defend. What we see here in verse 2 is that John specifically emphasizes Jesus' deity and his humanity to his readers. Um, and, and he does that when he says, that uh, when he says Jesus Christ has come from, uh, has come in the flesh. Jesus, of course, is Jesus's human name. That name Christ, it's not his last name. I thought it was his last name growing up. Okay, I I thought so, but that's not his last name. Christ is his title. It's the translation, it's the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah, or Hebrew title Messiah, which means anointed one so this is a title signifying his his um his special status his anointed status before god but not only that not only that it's emphasizing his deity specifically and when john says here that jesus christ has come in the flesh it's emphasizing that humanity aspect and and The reason why John is emphasizing both Jesus' deity and his humanity is because this is exactly what the false teachers were teaching against. These false teachers, they believed that everything that was physical was evil. If it was material, it was evil. It was uh, carnal, it was uh, full of evil within it. But if it was spirit, if it was immaterial, then it was holy. And so in their view, Jesus Christ could not have actually been a man. Because if Jesus was holy, then he couldn't have been physical. He couldn't have been tangible. You couldn't touch him. Because if he was material, if you could touch him, then he, would be, then he would be made up of evil. And so they were saying, no, Jesus, he had the appearance of a man, but he was only a spirit. And when they nailed him to the cross, it only appeared as if they nailed him to the cross. But he didn't actually die. He didn't actually. Uh, he wasn't actually nailed to the cross. And John he begins this entire letter with a rebuttal to those false claims in First John one one to four. he's telling his readers about Jesus from firsthand experience. He's he and the other apostles have seen Jesus with their eyes. They've heard Jesus with their ears. They've spent time with him and and they've touched him. They've touched him. So there's no truth whatsoever to the claims of these false teachers so if someone truly abides with god is one with god and they have the holy spirit they will confess the same truth that god has revealed about his son that jesus christ is both god and man he is god but he was also born to a virgin The scriptures point to this truth. It demonstrates the necessity for this truth. Jesus had to be fully God and fully man in order to bring us together, in order to be the sinless sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world. And so there's no running away from this truth without discarding the word of God. If we try and pick at the little elements of of, uh, truth here and throw the ones out that we don't like, you actually just discard the entire gospel. You discard the entire scriptures, and so as a result, in contrast to those who are from the Holy Spirit, who are uh, influenced by the Holy Spirit, verse three, those who do not confess Jesus uh, is from God, uh, as as coming from the flesh, uh, have the spirit of Antichrist. Now they're not Antichrist himself. You can see that clearly uh, in verse three. It says they have they have the spirit. Um, of the antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming right so that's not a person but it's the spirit of antichrist that fills people and so um it's not antichrist himself but it's people who are influenced by antichrist now john is asking us to remember what he said in chapter two right we are in the last time period before christ returns and establishes his kingdom at that point antichrist himself uh, the one who imitates Christ, who looks like Christ, right? we even see in the scriptures that he looks a lot like a Christ-like figure, uh, but he's not Christ. He leads the nations astray. But um, he's he he's the one who is coming. But the the false prophets, the people who act like him, the other Antichrists (plural), those are the ones who are all throughout the world, even now. Right now, meaning at, at that time of the uh, of john writing his letter but also it continues to this day so this is not a threat that will be coming it's a threat that is already a reality and it continues to be a reality today now many people can say that they believe in jesus right it's easy to say that you can say i believe in jesus but the genuineness of their belief is is determined it's demonstrated by their confession Do they confess the same things about Jesus that God does in his word or do they confess something different? Those who might say that they believe in Jesus but do not truly agree with what the Bible teaches about Jesus and what Jesus himself teaches are at risk of believing in a Jesus who looks a whole lot like the Jesus of the Bible but at the end of the day when you evaluate who that Jesus is, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. Like we said earlier, what you believe about Jesus Christ and what he taught matters immensely. Now, I want to be careful here, because I'm not saying that anyone who uh, wants to be saved must have perfect theology in order to be saved. I'm not saying that uh, people who have an inaccurate understanding of Jesus Uh, An inaccurate view of Jesus are always unsaved. I don't want to say that because some people, they do have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. They've been taught wrong and they can be corrected. So they're not always unsaved. It's not impossible for them to grow, to have a proper understanding of him. We see that with Apollos. Right, uh, Apollos, he was going around preaching the gospel, and then uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila they pull him aside and they say, Hey, you're teaching the gospel inaccurately, let's let, let us correct you a little bit here and then send you out. Right, so it's not to say that every single person who doesn't have a right understanding of who Jesus is is unsaved. There are some people who are genuinely saved but need a bit of a tweak, need a bit of a correction in terms of their understanding of who he is. What I am also saying though is that if People are told an inaccurate gospel with an inaccurate picture of who Jesus is and what he did to save them, and they stay in that inaccurate knowledge of Jesus. They are in danger of believing in a counterfeit gospel that does not save. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross and he rose again, but you also believe that in order for you to be saved, you must give to the church and must confess to the priests. That's an inaccurate gospel. That's a gospel that does not save. It has it mostly right, but the part that's not right is significant enough where it's not right at all. And so we have to be careful. Knowing that souls are at stake, we have to make sure that we teach an accurate gospel so that people can be saved, so that we'll not be deceived, thinking that they're saved when they're not. Out of compassion, that's what we want to do. Um, there's other examples as well let's let's say that you believe in jesus but you deny that he's divine you don't have a jesus that's capable of living a sinless life because every single human being in human history has sin right we it's, it's one of our favorite sayings whenever someone comes comes up against us right i'm only human you know hands off i'm only human i'm gonna make mistakes and sometimes when we say mistakes we actually mean i'm gonna sin yeah, but we just use mistakes because we don't like to admit that we sin, right? Or, or let's, say, let's say we don't have a Jesus who is virgin born. It's impossible for him to be virgin born. And that's a very common thing that we hear now during Christmas time from evangelicals. And when I say evangelicals, and you did not see me, I'm using air quotes, okay? They're evangelicals, and they say that Jesus uh, was not born of virgin birth. Well, if you don't have a Jesus who was not born of a virgin, then you do not have a Jesus who fulfills prophecy. You do not have a Jesus who has legal right to the throne of David, who also bypasses the Jeconiah curse. And if you don't know what that is, please feel free to look it up afterwards. I bring that unfamiliar concept up to you, not to send you on a rabbit trail to quickly Google the Jeconiah curse, but I bring that up to you so that you can see that There might be some unfamiliar concepts that are are present in, in the scriptures, but right belief about Jesus has a lot of important details, has a lot of important moving parts that cannot be thrown out just because it doesn't make sense to us. So be careful. Be careful of Christian writers, theologians, and pastors who throw out portions of scripture to make it more believable for unbelievers or even for themselves. The invalidation of scripture does not lead to a gospel that saves. And if we encounter difficulty, we must do the hard work to study. We can't throw any part of it out. One of the, uh, if if we truly believe that the word of God is, uh, is from God, that it's God-breathed, that it's literally breathed out from God, and that it is just like him, perfect in all its ways, incapable of error, then whenever we come across difficulty when we study the Bible, that means we have to humble ourselves, and we have to figure out how we can put ourselves under submission to the Scriptures rather than make the Scriptures submit to us. We can talk about that some other time, but that's that's how how... How seriously we need to take the study of scripture. That's how seriously we need to lift up scripture. We have to figure out, okay, how do I reconcile this with scripture? Not what some guy who thinks he knows Greek uh, or Hebrew has figured out uh, that no other theologian has ever uh, agreed to throughout all of human history. We have to be careful. There are a lot of people out there who will say stuff like that. Discernment over right doctrine, especially especially right doctrine about Jesus is something that we must make sure that we are diligent to practice in our lives. Whenever we listen to new podcasts, sermons, uh, watch YouTube videos, or or read books, we need to hold up whatever we're learning uh, to scripture to see if what we have, if what we're learning is truly from God or if it's something else. The reason why is because true assurance of salvation comes from the Holy Spirit if he is the one who is working in our lives to assure us of the holy spirit when we uh, hear all these other teachings then we realize if it really is from him that those things that we're hearing won't ever ever contradict anything that god has revealed in his word what god has said about his son is of utmost importance however we also Practice discernment, we ought to practice discernment over uh, what we are exposed to in the Christian life because of who has saved us. And that leads us to the second reason Christians must practice discernment in this current age, and that is the source of salvation. The source of salvation. Verse 4. So uh, it says this You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. So, you'll notice that John is using similar language to verse 2 to express where Christians are from. He uses those words, from God. Jesus Christ has come from God. Um, or, sorry, uh, those who uh, confess Jesus Christ has come are from God. And he's saying here that we too, if we, um, if, uh, or that, that we too are from God. So this emphasizes that our salvation is not a result of our own works. Our, our, Our salvation has a divine source. It's from God himself. Because we've believed in Jesus, because we've repented of our sins, we all have the Spirit. When we abide with God, he gives us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, as a receipt of our salvation. So we are all from God. Now, since we are all from God, we have overcome who? We have overcome, it says here, the many false prophets who are in the world, who are peddling a counterfeit Christianity in all of its forms to the world. Yes, these false prophets are many. They have a lot of influence. Um, You can just take a walk throughout your neighborhoods, and you'll probably see churches that are cults, churches that don't hold to the right gospel. That might seem overwhelming because there are so many of them. But what we see here is that we won't be overrun by them. We won't need to lose our confidence in our salvation because of false doctrine. We have overcome the threat that comes with false doctrine. We will not be like those whom Paul describes are tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. It's because we're anchored in our faith because. Christ has us, right? Because Christ brought us into himself. We abide with him, therefore we are anchored in him and we have overcome these false doctrines that threaten to upset our faith or to take it away or challenge what we actually believe. Why? Why Why is that? It's because our God who dwells with us, who empowers us, who sustains us is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in the world is a reference to Satan. You'll notice that John does not describe Satan as being in the false prophets like God is in us. Satan is described as being in the world. And that's significant because it tells us that Satan does not indwell false prophets, nor does he control them directly. They may be influenced by the devil as they act as his agents of deceit, but they do not have a close relationship with uh, with Satan, like God's children have with God. And since we know that God saved us from our sins through Jesus Christ, we can have a settled confidence and assurance that our salvation is sure. The false gospel of the false teachers cannot upset our faith, because we know the truth, right? We know the truth. We have the truth. And no matter what they say, even if it seems convincing, it doesn't matter. There is no archaeological finding that will ever upset our faith. Some people will say, um, and some people have said in the past, that they found documents that prove that the disciples stole the body of Jesus, that Jesus did not actually uh, rise from the dead. And Christians, some, some Christians, have had their faith shaken because of that. And what we understand here from the scriptures is that because we're from God, because we know the truth, we'll overcome. We'll overcome. And those, those things that have been found that supposedly prove that Jesus did not rise from the dead, they've been all found fake. They've been all found counterfeit or fake stories. Right, so we don't need to be afraid. If false teachers say things that make us perform a double take, Closer reflections on the truth found in God's word will comfort our hearts. We don't need to be afraid that we've missed out on important revelation from God. We don't. Because 2 Peter 1.3 reminds us that God has granted us everything that we need for life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. Where do we get that true knowledge of him? It's from his word. God is with us. He is greater than Satan and he's given us everything that we need to know him we can be tempted to have a wrong view of what Satan does and uh, if uh, you want a refresher on, on who Satan is and what he does you can refer back to Justin Lau's sermon on the doctrine of Satan um, that's on our on our church website but if you remember uh, Justin t- uh, taught us that Satan does seem to have some form of power, but he can only do what God allows him to do. And so if you think about it this way, even the evil that Satan thinks that he does in opposition to God actually moves human history exactly to the point where God wants it to go. Satan, he can try as much as he wants to rebel against god but even his rebellion accomplishes god's purposes even the evil that he thinks will cause great damage to god will not that's how futile satan's plans are that's how great god is so when we say greater is he that is in you than it's he who is in the world that's a great confidence that's a great confidence and therefore we should not fear god's greatness over satan is infinite because he is with us we have every reason to be assured of the validity of our faith when we consider the the spirit's testimony of our assurance of salvation now go to verses five and six it says here they are from the world therefore they speak as from the world and the world listens to them we are from god he who knows god listens to us he who is not from god does not listen to us By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So they refers once again to the false teachers. Though they may pose as religious, though they act like they are Christian, John tells us that the false teachers are not from God. Instead, they're from the world. They are then influenced by he who is in the world. Again, Satan. Their values... Are not God's values, but they're the values of this world. And as a result, all of their teaching is naturally in opposition to God as it promotes the world's values rather than God's values. Take, for instance, the preachers who teach that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. That might sound biblical, right? Because we know that there are promises of blessing in the scriptures. And we know from Romans, Romans 8, that God works all things together for our good. So we could be led to believe that, why, yes, God does bless us. Why, yes, God does promise our good. So we shouldn't have to endure anything bad. It should only be, as long as we have faith, it should only be health, wealth, and prosperity from here on out and happiness. That's not what the rest of of the scriptures teach us, though. The rest of of scriptures, they also tell us that we will endure trials, that if they hated Jesus, they'll hate us too, that we will suffer. But God has a plan, a good plan for that, that suffering, for our ultimate good, that he will discipline us for the sake of godliness And so if we openly promise that God wants to bless everyone with health, wealth, and prosperity, that's a lie from the pit of hell that deceives many. And the reason why is because it promises people what they already want. It promises people what they already want. If you could get anything that you wanted from God with no restriction, as long as you believe in Jesus, wouldn't you do it? That's, that's almost like a no-brainer, right? Why wouldn't I listen to a preacher who tells, me that, uh, who, who tells me that if I believe in Jesus and do whatever he says and gives as much money as, as he tells me to give, that, that God will give me everything that I've ever wanted? Why wouldn't I listen to something like that? That's exactly the mentality of the world. People will respond to, to a gospel message like that if it appeals to their desires, if you want to think about it this way, the reason why a lot of people right now choose to not go to church is because they are happy. They are happy. They are healthy. They are wealthy. Relatively speaking. They have everything they want. Why would they want God? They don't need to they don't need no preacher. They don't need no church to give them that. They already have what they want. Right. But the ones who do buy into that, the ones who do buy into that, they're the ones who don't have all a lot of that. Or they want more of it. And so they will readily believe in that. But, but, God did not save us so that we can get whatever we want. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not inherently sinful to want to be healthy. It's not inherently sinful to want to be happy or to have a job that pays well that's that's not sinful god allows for us to experience these things in the world uh, as a part of his common grace to all and for some people for some, for some people who will not ever believe in jesus christ that's the closest that they'll ever get to experiencing heaven's joys but that is not all that god wants for us he wants so much more for his creation that's made in his image he wants for us to experience the blessings of forgiveness of sin. We're told in 2 Peter 3.9 that God does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's God's greatest desire. He doesn't just want you to have all these other blessings on the side. His main desire is that you repent, that you be free from uh, the threat of punishment. He wants us to have eternal life. And Jesus tells us in John 17, 3, that eternal life isn't just living forever, but it's what? That we know God. That we know the Father. And that we know Jesus Christ, whom the Father sent. God wants so much more for us than owning a house, than having a nice car and getting married and having your two and a half kids, however that works. He wants for us to have the best possible thing for us. And that's not exactly, it's not always what we want. It's not what we think we want. It's himself. He is our highest possible good. And so, if we listen to worldly teachers who only promise to give us what the world has to offer we're, we're actually massively shortchanged massively shortchanged we 're ripped off to the infinite degree because of god 's infinite worth for those in, who are in the world they hear those things and they believe those things they can't see how they are being ripped off and that 's why they listen to the false teachers because they 're worldly and they're they're um, they're being Um, their worldly senses are being appealed to by these false teachers. However, what we see in verse 6 reminds us that this is not who we are. John doesn't intend for this to be a boastful statement, but it's a contrasting one. Those who are from God will demonstrate that they are from God by listening to the teaching of the apostles. They will hear the word of God and they will believe the word of God because they have an experiential knowledge of who God is, of his saving power. And that does not negate studying what is taught to make sure it is truly from God. But once they are assured that the apostles teaching is from God, there is an agreement with the word of God in addition to the obedience to the word of God. And so when, when John says that readers who know God listens to John and those who teach the apostles' teaching, he doesn't mean that these readers, they're just going to give a few hours of their week to listen to what the word of God says and then move on with their lives without thinking about it or without applying it to their lives. The word of God is meant to be responded to. Jesus himself says in the Great Commission that we are to make disciples by teaching new disciples to observe all that he has commanded. Hearing God's word necessitates obedience to God's word. We don't get to pick and choose what we want to believe and respond to, uh, and respond to when it comes to God's word. It's all or nothing. In fact, full rejection of God's word is so serious that John says that those who are not from God, they don't listen to the apostles' teaching. That is, they're not saved. They're not from God because they don't listen to God's word. Rather, they are like the people in verse five. They are of the world and they listen to those who are from the world. Now, before you panic, okay, before you panic, John is not saying that failures in obeying God's word perfectly or consistently uh, means that people who claim to be Christians are not from God, okay? You're going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. Okay, we've all messed up. So John is not saying that we have to perfectly meet the standard of God, of God's Word all the time in order to be of God or from God, right? But what he is saying here is that the, that the absolute refusal to do what God says in His Word is an indication that someone is not from God. And so when we encounter new resources that seem to be helpful to our understanding of the Christian faith, don't just examine what they say about Jesus. That's important. Right. But you also have to examine what they say about how we're to treat God's word, how we are to obey God's word, because those who are of God will reinforce the necessity to obey all that God has commanded. Those who approach the issue from a perspective that is solely focused on grace and they don't have any elements of truth in them, they distort God's word in order to advance their agenda rather than advancing God's agenda. Yes, we are to speak the truth in love. Okay, We are to be loving. We are to be compassionate, but not at the expense of neglecting what the word of God says. You can't be all love, no truth. You have to be balanced. You can't be all truth and no love either, okay? You zealous people, you. We have to be balanced. If people do not listen to God's word and they advocate that other people do the same thing, they are not from God because they don't listen to God. There are a lot of people out there who will tell you that God doesn't care. God doesn't care whether you obey. All he cares about is your heart and your intentions. He knows your heart. And you'll be fine. He does know your heart. It's true. He knows that you're wicked though. He doesn't give you credit for righteousness when you're blatantly sinning against him. That's what we mean when we say we have to make sure that we are listening to people who will teach us the truth of the word of God, who will at times get on eye level with us and say, hey, you're wrong. Don't do that. Stop doing that. We need people to do that to us sometimes. And of course, sometimes we need someone to lovingly say that to us. We need both. But if we focus all on love and not on truth, we lead people to a wrong view of Scripture, a wrong view of Jesus. And the view of Jesus that says, my Jesus wouldn't judge me. My Jesus wouldn't care what I do with my life. Stop judging me. That's not true. That's not true, because in Revelation we see that Jesus has some pretty strong words for the church that lost its first love of Christ, or that does not do uh, that does not uh, do what He says. You can read the letters to those first churches. There's only one that gets there's only one that gets an encouragement. The rest are all rebuked. Jesus does care. Jesus does care about what His church does. He does care about what His people do. So. People who have the spirit of error rather than the spirit of truth, we must be mindful of them because we understand the God that we worship. And so when we consider the source of our salvation, Christians ought to be motivated to practice discernment in what we see, what we hear, what we're learning, because the God we worship is absolutely holy. He's worthy of all worship, honor, and obedience. And so if we are from God, then what we want to believe and respond to are God's words, not the words of those who are in rebellion against God. There may be times when worldly wisdom will have its place, like in the guidance that we've been given from our uh, national, state, and local governments about this pandemic. That's right stuff. But when it comes to spiritual matters, the word of God takes precedence. Knowing who is our source of salvation encourages us to be on the alert so that we do not welcome in false doctrine to our church by accident. False doctrine doesn't come into the church through the front door. It comes in through the back door. It comes in through the books that we read. It comes in through the sermons that we listen to or the YouTube videos that we find. False doctrine comes into the church in all these small ways. God has given us his word, however, so that we who know him can pass the true knowledge of him on to others and protect newer believers from bad theology that is not from God. And it's okay for you to fact check us. Okay, it's okay for you to fact check us. In Acts 17, 10 to 12, Paul and Silas, they were preaching the gospel to those in Berea and those who heard the word received it with great eagerness. They were excited. They're like, wow, I've never heard this before. They loved what they were learning from Paul and Silas. But even though they were excited and they uh, about what they heard and they found it helpful, the Bereans examined the scriptures daily to see whether what they were taught was true. And Paul and Silas didn't get mad. Instead, what we see uh, from, the divine author, or, or from the human author's uh, point of view, from Luke's point of view, is that the Bereans, they were considered noble-minded for their efforts. They're commended. Right? That's why we have so many Berean churches. If you've been to Irvine or, uh, or whatnot, you'll know, right? The Berean, uh, uh, Berean churches. And there's other churches all over, the, all over the world called Berean. Why? Because we want to be noble-minded Bereans who study the word. So these Bereans, they came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because they compared what they were taught from Paul and Silas to the scriptures, and they realized, oh, this is true. So brothers and sisters, when we consider who has saved us from our sins, let us make sure that we are not deceived by false teachers, but are carefully and diligently protecting the truth of God. Only from right doctrine will we be able to have an airtight assurance of our salvation. Counterfeit goods are not harmless. These products are a form of thievery, yes, but they can also threaten the lives of those who use them and others as well. They affect livelihoods. Counterfeit faith, as we see tonight, is not potentially dangerous. It leads to the eternal judgment of souls, if not refuted and corrected. And if Christians want to be genuinely assured of their salvation, they cannot believe whatever they hear from others just because someone says that they are from God or heard something from God. Rather, Christians are always to practice discernment in what they learn, comparing it to Scripture. Christians are to practice discernment because error is deceitful. We're told in the Scriptures that the devil masquerades as an angel of light, but he's also a lion seeking to devour all who are unaware. We know, however, that God who is with us is greater than satan and because he is our source of salvation because he is our highest treasure and our highest good and the one that we love we want to practice discernment in what we learn because we are representing him to other people we want to make sure that whatever truths about god that we pass on to others is in line with what god has said about himself so that those who are his will listen to him not to us to him And when we are assured of this truth that we believe, then we will be assured of our salvation. That's how it ties in. God truly does not leave us alone as the world. He provides us everything that we need, even when we need to be confronted, when we're tempted to doubt the validity, comforted when we are tempted to doubt the validity of our salvation. The Holy Spirit is a wonderful pledge from God to help us remember God's commandments, to grow in holiness, and to do God's will. And because of what we've learned tonight, we can even have greater confidence that we have the Holy Spirit, the actual Holy Spirit, not a counterfeit Holy Spirit, but the actual Holy Spirit in our lives, who will not only affirm the things which God has revealed in Scripture, but our salvation as well. So counterfeit spirits, they will not do that. They won't do that. They won't comfort us. Holy Spirit will. For those of you who are not Christians and you're here with us tonight, please know that there is no truth to the belief that all paths lead to heaven. God loves you, and he wants you to be saved from your sins, and that's why he gave us his word, which tells us of the only way to be forgiven of your sins. God doesn't want you to be, be deceived. He wants for everyone to be saved. He wants everyone to know the truth of his love for you and how he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you so that your sins can be forgiven, so that you may be adopted into his family. But don't take my word for it. Don't take my word for it. Examine the Bible. If you don't have one, we can get you one. And if you don't want a physical copy because you're afraid of COVID-19, go to BibleGateway.com. There's a lot, lot of ways where you can get a Bible examine what the bible says we invite for you to see whether we have taught you god's word accurately and we invite you to believe in jesus christ for the salvation of your sins for those of you who are fellow believers let's take care to grow in our knowledge of the scriptures so that we can be mature christians not tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine don't turn your nose up to theological discussions because Theology matters. It impacts the way that you live your life. It's not just for the nerds. It's for all who believe. And growing up in in, in the word is what will allow for us to faithfully carry out God's will here on this earth. If that's your desire, if you love him and you want to carry out God's will on this earth, you need to know what he says. And not just from contact credit, from listening to a sermon, but actual belief in it, application of it. And that, if that's our desire, then we ought to desire more of his word in our lives. We need him. We need him desperately. Let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful to you for, uh, for your word. We're grateful for how it provides us with even greater assurance of the faith that we have in you. It can be easy for us to think that uh, we can find assurance of our salvation because of the Holy Spirit's testimony, but then not really know whether what we are experiencing is from the Holy Spirit or from someone else. And so we're grateful that your word actually provides us with all the proofs, all the proofs that we need to understand the sh- the concreteness of our salvation. We pray, Father, that you would help us, that you would help us to be careful of what we learn in our zealousness or in our pursuit for more knowledge. Help us to be discerning. And if we need help, we pray that you would bring people alongside us to help us be discerning. We pray that, Lord, you would help us to have a hunger, a real hunger for your word that goes beyond the initial energy for maybe about a week or A month or two of going headfirst into your word and then fading off we pray that we would want a consistent diet in your word so that we can uh, know it live it out and glorify you in doing so help us lord to love one another to obey all that you've commanded it's your sons and we pray amen